Brace yourself. Here comes the goofy part. Hello, Cyclocross friends. And thanks for tuning in to episode 255 of Cyclocross Radio. On today's show, we're talking about Flamenville for a little bit, but then we get into a more intriguing conversation inspired by the Gravel Cycling Hall of Fame, which you can hear all about on our uh, sister podcast, Grodio. Amanda Nauman had a great conversation with two of the founders of the Gravel Cycling Hall of Fame that you should check out at the Wide Angle Podium Network. And uh, uh, Zach got inspired, and he put together his initial requirements up for debate for how you could get into the cyclocross hall of fame so that's what we're doing we we spend most of our time debating that and it's a good conversation we want you to be a part of it so leave us a comment on twitter at cx hairs or send us an email to cx hairs bulletin at gmail.com and let us know what you think about a cyclocross hall of fame you may have heard that cyclocross world is just around the corner and the mud fund which is part of the usa cycling foundation has had a great year uh they've supported u.s athletes in the ability to travel and compete in europe for extended stays like they just did over the christmas period and also helping in being able to compete uh, on the world level and at at world championships and then we also heard you know think things like um the support that they gave to becca farringer after her concussion it's just it's 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 that type of support that we need more and more of in cyclocross and to be able to do this the mud fund needs all of our help to to sustain its mission every every year for the past three years they've had a membership drive a donation drive if you will uh, to raise funds and at this time of year they will match those funds up to a certain amount and i i believe that's starting January 22nd of this year. So if you head over to usacycling.org slash foundation slash mud fund, I'll have a link down there in the, the show notes. Starting on the 22nd, I believe going to February 2nd, everything you donate will be matched. And the the goal is is to raise forty thousand dollars and have that matched to around to eighty thousand dollars. And and I think that's doable. And it's some another I know that, you know, we're always asked to give back in some way, but I think this is an important one, especially for cyclocross going forward. So go follow that link, click on it and support the Mud Fund and U.S. cyclocross athletes. Speaking of cyclocross worlds, I'm doing my packing now and two of the items I'm absolutely taking to worlds with me are my mt500 rain pants and rain jacket and those are made by endura and they are mainstays in in my photography work especially uh, when i was over in europe and it didn't stop raining except for i think one day i had those items on non-stop I think you can ride on them I, with them. I think they're great on the bike, but for me, off the bike, just walking around, super comfortable, not too baggy. I just love them. Plenty of pockets and, and just a great piece of kit. 
if if you go to endurasport.com and if you put in wide angle 20 that's a capital w and then just the number two number zero so wide angle 20 you'll get 20 percent off your next order so so go do that and go give endurasport a follow on twitter and on instagram they're 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 a worthwhile follow and a company to support okay we got Flammaville. We got the Hypothetical Cyclocross Hall of Fame. We got Michael and Zach on episode 255 of Cyclocross Radio. And we're doing all of that right now. We are back in the media pit to talk about... What do we got to talk about? We got to talk about farm... Wordles. <laughs> we got to talk about Wordles. Shh. It's the intro part. We're gonna talk about uh, Farmville, and um, and then I think we're just gonna just wherever wherever it takes us. But uh, before we find out where we will be taken, Michael, how's it going? Bill, I hope you got your library card when we go to Fayetteville because we are gonna read a book, Mother Trucker. Now. Before we get to Zach, Michael, what I have to ask you is because the puck brings you back, I ain't telling you no lie, the puck brings you back on that you can rely. <laughs> Zach, anything? Are we going to get the sweet harmonica solo? Yes! No, I mean, you, you forgot to tell me to bring the harmonica. Oh. If I would have known that that's where we're going. I mean, I was ready I was ready to say chateau to Michael's puns, but those are pretty bad. So, like, I'm not going to give you that. Like, instead of chapeau, like. No, that's great. Yeah, that was really good. Yeah, but I'm not going to give it to you. Yeah. So, okay, we have been debating how to say Slapshot's name, and I learned, or this is what I this is what I gathered from uh, Magali Rochette's Fever Talk podcast, Twenty Minutes with Your Favorite Cyclocross Racer, is that it's not Pook, but it's Pook. It's like book with a P. That's how I heard her say it. So I'm or, gonna try and use that, and I just might call her Puck as or well, or even Hook with a P. Okay, yeah. cool. Hook. Hook. Wow, that's really going to confuse me. I'm gonna before the end of us. I'm just going to be like, I'm going to end up calling her like John Popper or something. Now that I have that in my mind, yeah. So, uh, well, anyway, hopefully, no one on this podcast gives anyone the runaround. So, you know, it, uh, it. it was it was um, it was it was whoever was uh, giving us kudos for our Breakfast Club Grodio uh, um, intro, and I was like, thirty-five year old cultural references zach i'm proud of you you're right there with me those are only are, is it 35 no years? that was breakfast club uh okay we're at like 25 ish yeah like uh yeah that was like mid 90s that was like middle school for okay. me that was, that was like what 94 i think i was in law school so 94 is about right yeah do the math guys that's like almost 20 that is like 28 years <laughs> 94 that's what I said. Boom. Okay, let's uh, let's talk about. Uh, uh, I know it's not Farmville. What is it? Flammable. 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 
I mean, I, I, I don't v? know if we have any French. I just knowing the way the French really like their their language is the beautiful language that they don't want anyone else to speak. I'm sure it's even worse than like the Dutch and Belgians correcting us for our terrible pronunciations. Uh, so I'm sure if we have any French listeners that uh, I'm not even going to try because uh, I, I just don't want to go there because um, I'm sure we're doing it wrong. We need we needed. Can we make the call? Do you think Ethan's up? Do you think we can wake Ethan up? Do you think he's up yet? <laughs> Ethan, Ethan doesn't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair. Uh, so we had World Cup Flamanville? Sure. Something like that? Sure. Okay. What do you guys think of the track? I mean, take, l- let me ask you this. Take away the beautiful castle-like chateau and all of the grounds the and yeah okay no that's part of the track so i I was going to say on the sort of that cobble climb into the finish which i think was a a great finish but uh other than that what do you think about the track i'm glad you presented it that way because i was going to say great venue beautiful venue meh i i mean like what features do you remember i you know they did what they could i don't really remember much of the track, beautiful venue, great shots, great camera work. They had the one side hill with like the kind of weird trippy look at the castle. You had the great finish with the castle in the back. I mean, I, I almost think it was worth it for the finishing shot alone, <laughs> frankly. Right. Whoever got the rear shot was, uh, was beautiful. You don't, don't forget the sun, the, the sun glinting off the lake, um, out of focus in the back. It was like, they're coming up the yeah. hill. Like it was, um, the Leon, the professional, um, yep. you know, into the horizon so yeah but like i don't know see see would it see would it would it Tabar would light? it have been different if there was real cyclocross weather bill they were they were riding in real cyclocross <laughs> weather thank you <laughs> Uh, I mean, I think it would have, there were definitely some corners. Um, I mean, there were some that they ended up having to run anyway, but it seems like there were some that off Cambry that would have certainly been turned more difficult. Um, the other thing that I noticed, Bill, that you might have, you know, they kind of went, there were these gardens. Uh, it's really this really cool venue, this old castle from the 1600s, and it's got this garden, and, you know, you can have your wedding there or a cyclocross race. I think it's cool they did that, but <laughs> they were in the garden. I don't know if you saw this, where they, they put construction fencing around the garden, i.e. course tape, because <laughs> there's that weird section where there's this big open. You're like, why? What are they do? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. They're staying off the plants. Good thing. Good thing it was a, a limited crowd, but still, still what they, what they say, 5,000 in there. Yeah. And the riders seemed pretty stoked. I mean, they've been racing without fans. I mean, we saw kind of <laughs> that one, the one photo of the little fan at like uh, Zolder or whatever, peeking through and Ailey posted about it. And um, yeah, I'm sure that they've been missing it, but I guess it's also kind of interesting. I just always wonder like pro athletes, do they care about the fans? Like, you know, and it seems like to some extent they do enjoy having that crowd there and it does make a difference. So I guess that's, that's cool to see that it, it does make a difference and that they do appreciate that people come out to watch them uh, play bikes. Yeah. Going, going through some of the early racing, Leone Bentveld, who has kind of filled the void uh, that Zoe Backstead created ever since getting COVID went in that, junior women's race but by only three seconds so uh valentina corvi i don't know if we've heard that name before italian rider and then uh katarina hadlakova who's who's been up there as well 
But it's, I think, you know, I, I don't want to jump the gun on talking about Worlds since we still have a couple more weeks, but I think just in that field alone, that's, that's what stuck out with this result. It's like once Backstead's back, it's like, where is she? How does she stack up with these other women, especially Benfeld, who seems to be on a hot streak right now? I think, I think that's going to be a, a nice race in Fayetteville. Yeah, it seems like. And which, which sport did she play? I remember they signed her this off season. Um, I'm trying to remember. I don't. Re- I honestly don't remember. I don't think it was soccer, um, but I'm sure she played some other sport uh, that you know she's coming to to bike racing. Another young Dutch woman uh, on the sauces, I think. So yep. the sauces signed her just on that. They just keep keep it rolling. It's a train. They just keep uh, keep signing them up. But yeah, I think that you're right, Bill. It seems like those are the two names that have kind of rung out. Um, you know, hoping that uh, Catherine Sarkisov can can have some magic. I mean, I think she certainly has shown that she could be a podium contender and it would be really sweet to see her uh, competing for the podium or, you know, kind of shocking the world in winning that one. But I think, yeah, to your point, it seems like those are the two favorites yeah, it, uh, for that race. Uh, right along now. with the, uh, you know, the home grins, depending on which one's having a good day. I think that, I think there's something to be said for that North American home, home field advantage. So maybe we'll see something there, but uh, moving on to new signings as well. Uh, David Haverdings, the the new lion, doing um, doing what he's been doing, winning that race by over a minute. Um, I don't know. I think he's. Would you say that he's been getting the lion's share of the victories? In the yeah, I think so. I think, that's, I think that's a fair point. Yeah, he's uh, bringing the main game to the lions. How about Emil Verstringe? Just like appearing and and now now like taking over in a strong u23 field who showed up for the did did all of our did all of our usual suspects yeah. show up in the yeah they did we had camp we had yeah. ron here yeah yeah we've got the we've got the the three the three duchies but talk about i was just say talk about winning a, a belgian national championship everybody's like kind of a fluke and then just saying not a fluke at all and showing up the next week and taking it. I mean, talk about peaking for worlds. Well, and like, let's, I mean, just quick off the top of my head, I think we're facing another world uh, to a lesser extent though. I forgot about the men. Never mind. Vanderpool's not there. I'm so used to just assuming that that Belgians aren't going to win the elite men's race that so they they do actually have a good shot at the elite men's race so they won't there's a good chance they won't go home and empty-handed i think there's less pressure on the uh the undercard belgians this year to to make sure that the motherland of cross doesn't get shut out well speaking of the u23s did you guys see who's back who's back in the game who's who's robotic whose metal shoulders are healed or actually not broken tebow the the eggshell collarbone of tebow (laughs) i mean at this point what he's broken him like eight times i think they're purely all titanium probably Uh, he probably it probably will just go down the line to whatever the next real bone is (laughs) next time 
Well, as the uh, as the resident dislocated shoulder expert on the podcast, uh, I'm actually not surprised. I was actually thinking about this. So if you've never dislocated your shoulder, one, it's literally the most excruciating pain I've ever experienced in my entire life. Uh, but I've had I had full dislocation, so you can have a partial dislocation. And just looking at the photos, it it didn't look like his like when it pops out, it's hanging there. Like he was, so it probably wasn't too bad. But basically, that's called the reducing it. They just pop it back in. And you're fine. You feel you literally feel fine. Um, you know, I think he's going to have the issue, though, especially when you're younger, it stretches your tendons. And so I don't know if he's going to have to have like another surgery eventually, because I think that risk will be there for but not surprised. I mean, it, it pops back in and you if you can have confidence in it, he's back at it. So um, he is I'm impressed. He's showing a lot of resilience. And it's probably not the I, it's not probably where he thought he was going to be right. Like, Coming up, he was the golden child, and now he's the wounded warrior golden child. If we raise a couple hundred dollars at Worlds and put him in a room with some filing cabinets, do you think he could get himself out of a straitjacket now? <laughs> oh, like, talk about your references. Uh, that's good. That's good. No, don't even, let's not even talk about what that's from. Um, just, just to point out, like, Tebow Nyes was on a bit of a, a a run there. You know, he won three U23 races in a row before he had that horrific crash. So it he, kind of a tough beginning part of the season for him. Um, and so, I mean, because he crashed and I forgot. He, he Wait, this was this year. He broke his collarbone at Trek, right? Correct. Wow. Wow. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like he said that he's, you know, he hasn't, he feels fine little back pain, but like, yeah, he hasn't been able to train very much, but uh, he's going to be, I think he's on to be on the start list at Hoga Hyder. So I don't know. T-Bonis could maybe, uh, could be coming home with the, uh, a medal uh, in Fayetteville. More medal on his shoulders. Since, since we are, are sort of like uh, looking for things to talk about for this race, should we just uh, move on to the men now and save, save the, the one interesting race for for the the last yeah. yeah 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 uh i will i mean should do we do we have to talk about the race i what is i mean we did have no, i we, liked the photo at the beginning i liked i don't know who had the photo of the first lap sauce group ride where it was like four sauces at the front that was pretty funny <laughs> yeah that was i was i, I made the, the joke about it being a a, a team retreat they were on a on a okay. work retreat, right. and because like because yeah. like even like Sweck was like the first one. He was like, okay, I'm up first, and then he went out there and was like leading the race for a little while, and then I think Vanter not just for maybe even a second or two made a lead, but then Ailey was like, okay, guys, that was really good, thanks. I, I'm the keynote here, and um, be seeing you later. I had I actually had hopes. I mean, I you know for a hot second, Sweck was at the front, and him and Ailey got a gap. I had high hopes that. Sweck was going to just deliver Ailey to a win, but you know Tone and Quinton, at least for a lap, weren't having any of it and brought it back. But then, yeah, Ailey, I mean, was kind of riding solo for the entire. I think lap three he went clear, uh, and then he was just kind of riding alone. So, do you guys know the the last time that Ellie won? Oh, this is a this is a tough question. Um, it was probably in November. Um, I will tell you that. Hold on. He, yeah. I'm trying to give you a hint. Okay. Um. And oh. The hint is. 
that well i was gonna say he, he got the same passport on he got the same stamp yeah i was gonna say he likes he, he seems to like the french countryside <laughs> it was a uh, base on somme yeah yeah the last time that was that was a race right before the uh the trio came back in so he um sat out while uh wout came and and pitters came and and then they're gone and he's back so all right guys i i know that we don't want to get it uh, we don't want to talk too much worlds, but we don't have much content for this podcast <laughs> right now. Before we overreact to everything next week, that's next week. Right now, are you buying or selling Ailey Ezerby world champion? I I made the another comment uh, while this race was going on that on Ailey Ezerby's computer on his bike, the virtual Tom Pidcock was still up the road by a minute. <laughs> so I'm, I'm selling. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm also selling. Um, I, I can, I can see a Pidcock Ellie tone podium. I just, I, I think with all of this, you know, he's doing all of this, uh, hill climbing right now. And I just think, Lap one, Pidcock on the climb in Fayetteville is just going to get a gap, and that may be it. That's my that's my early call. I like it. I like it. I mean, we'll see. We'll see what happens. I mean, I think like to me, he kind of has to show. <laughs> I'm not going to pick him until he shows that he can can do it this late in a season. Um, you know, but I mean, he is racing decently well. He he won this race, and frankly, like, well, oh. Sorry, Belgian nationals. He was terrible, uh, but I mean, at Hulse, like he was pretty close to 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 Pitcock throughout that race. So it seemed like a little, but yeah, he's been kind of all over the place. Then you're like, oh, I remember that race. He was good, but then there was Belgian nationals where. But to your point, Bill, I think you've made the point. I don't. I don't think he tries at Belgian nationals. I think that's more just Lawrence Swack. So I don't know. I'm excited uh, for this weekend, but when we get to overreact to stuff, and maybe I talk myself. Let's say he beats Pitcock at Hoogerheide, and then we're like, "Ooh, oh, is it going to happen?" And then Pitcock's like, "Yeah, I was just just playing around with y'all." So we'll see. <laughs> yeah, he has he has no 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 money in the game for the World Cup, and I. Yeah, I, I think that does Pitcock. Oh, here's the thing. I don't even know what points to look for. Is it the World Cup points for gridding as well? Where where's Pitcock lining lining up at Worlds? Do we know? It's probably World Cup, just because yeah. it seems like that's how everything's going. Um, I mean, was he probably top twenty somewhere? Oh, let's see. Let's see. Um, Pitters is twelfth. In the World Cup. So if it truly is, and again, I'm sure there's a rule out there that we could look at, but if it if it is by World Cup ranking for Worlds, then he does have in, some incentive to, to win that race and get those points and at least try to move up to the front row. The, the way Fayetteville plays out, I don't think it's like super crucial. It's... Uh, it's it's Zach Schuster approved in that there really are no right. <laughs> there's no dumb right. there's no dumb feature within the first minute of the race. No, because it says ski slope slalom yeah. all the way down, yeah. right? The, I mean, like, the first the first thing that like breaks a, them up is the hill, and that's not a technical thing. That's just a just a really big hill. Beautiful. Yeah, we were talking. Oh man, we're just talking about uh, world previous worlds and thinking back to Bowen's uh, the very Zach Schuster approved like longest straight ever to the far side of the venue. Oh yes, very Zach Schuster approved. Uh, Kevin Kuhn, first non-Belgi. 
Not even a, not even a Dutch in there. I'm, I'm, I'm reaching for straws on this. Anything else we need to talk about on this one? Let's, oh, let's see. Hang on. Um, no, that's all I got under the men. <laughs> all right. Let's get to the race that matters. Varsity tryouts. You know, yeah, you, you know, before the, when you're, before you have the playoffs, Zach, right? You always get those. It's the time where the freshmen and the JV teams have, their season has already ended and, and you pull up those players to varsity. Oh yeah, totally. And at my high school, sometimes we ended up with like sophomores getting called up who end up like starting for the varsity team. You're like, how is this happening? Why is this sophomore? Like shit, we had freshmen. Like every one year in my senior year, we had like freshmen getting called up. We're like, how is this? Should he maybe have been on the VART? Anyway. Yeah. (laughs) So this was like, this was like playoff tryouts. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, it's, so it's kind of interesting, you know, you're talking about who has to come and who gets to go. I thought it was interesting that uh, Inga Vanderheiden ended up getting the call to, to have to race. It seemed like that kind of shows where she's at on the pecking order, because this was definitely, uh, but then there's, I, you know, there's also like, man, that's almost like the B team, right? Where you have like <laughs> the, the guys in your rotation who also have to play on the B squad. They're like, oh, you can be a starter on the B team. Speaking of 777 with, uh, I mean, I think you're saying like Amory Worst and didn't show up. Was she the only 777 not there? I think so, yeah. Cause yeah, and that's there. who I want to talk about. Remember, remember the beginning of last season? Remember Annie Van yeah. Elfen? Does that name ring a bell? Bunny hopping to victory. Yeah. No. Was that? That was last year. She finished like third at, at, she finished third at that race this year. Oh, same one. Yeah. Okay. I think so. She had like a good finish, but no, last year's the year. The last year's the year that you're thinking of. And it was just like, yeah, low key. I remember doing the preview. It's like, uh, she's like the fourth best U23 and she's just fallen off a cliff this year. Yeah. Definitely different. I assume. Different story. Does she have these results that I don't know about? (laughs) She, yeah, I mean, you could say, I mean, or, you know, uh, Shirin, um, Puck, and Femme have just really kind of risen through and, and sort of taken that spot. I mean, and they, they truly are the young guns because they would, that, at that time, they would have been 18, 19 years old. So not even in that, in that field. So it, it is this whole new generation that cropped up and, and, uh, went to the front of this one pretty early. I mean, this was the Femme versus, Puck, <laughs> the puck brings you back. Oh my god! And and as as intriguing as a battle as that was, and it was it was great. I mean, at at, at certain times, like uh, Jeremy was like, "Puck is done. She's she's roasted. She is out of this." And a lap later, it'd be like, "Fem is done. She's roasted. She's out of this." And it just went back, and they were just destroying each other. But on top of that, Zach. Blanca Vash back there, probably the most compelling one because you're just like counting seconds every time she goes through a feature thing. Is this the lap that she's going to come up? And every time it went to that finishing straight, she was just like crushing them and she would pull back like three or four seconds, but then just, just couldn't do it. It was, it was, it was really interesting since she was such a heavy favorite and kind of like, kind of like taking that Pidcock step of the sort of the, the third and the big three on the women's side for, for many of these races. Yeah, I was kind of thinking a, a similar thing with the two at the front, why they were just kept like hitting each other so hard with attack after attack. And I was like, oh, right, Vash is 12 seconds back. Like you can't, 
you can't start to game this out, you know, and I guess they were, I mean, they weren't going like super hard, like, you know, uh, Puck looked like she tried to like kind of win the race early on. And, you know, when that wasn't going to happen, you know, no overwhelming attacks, but like they were definitely keeping the pace high and switching times at the front. And I'm sure that's what they were thinking. They were probably like, Hey, by the way, um, you know, Blanca Vosh is, is pretty close uh, to us here, but yeah, like you said, she never really made contact. And then I think in the last lap, they were definitely gaming it out, which was kind of amusing to watch. Yeah. And interesting on the, on the last lap. So the, I think Michael, the coolest part of this course, at least for me was that finishing stretch was a great climb into a long sprint. I I, I kind of laugh because for a, I don't know if you saw it, but like back in the in the uh, Evelechner uh, pony camp, they they somehow tricked Man and Backer to go to the front like every lap into the headwind down there, and she was like fine, and she was just like crushing Watts in this big headwind up the hill and just like dragging the whole pony camp along until it got back to the. To the to the to the mud, and then they just sort of left her left her by the side until the next lap. There was a fun one too, where uh, it was the the group for th- for third, Inga and Sylvia Persico. <laughs> Inga f- flicks her elbow, looks back, and Persico's just like no, and then Inga swings to the other side of the start oh, finish yeah. straight, and Persico's just like yeah, I'll just do that. That's okay. Yeah, it's like, it's um, like by, she's probably, by the way, I'm a road racer. This, this isn't anything new to me. I'm not playing this reindeer game. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, Michael, we uh, in the the finishing sprint, uh, we you know we had. Uh, I don't think we've done the sock watch. We had black socks versus white socks, and we had oh, tops God. versus drops. We have two two of the great cyclocross debates. Uh, going head to head here. I don't know if gingers and blondes are necessary rivals. Maybe if it was blonde versus brunette, that might be more of a thing. But we at least had two of the great cyclocross debates going into to this sprint. Um, and it turns out it was a pretty long finishing sprint because the person who went first didn't win. Yeah, I mean, right. It, it seemed, I think Puck, I think Puck tried to jump early before the climb and, and sort of, you know, if you're in front, maybe she felt better. But yeah, it just, she, she, I mean, like if the finish line was, I don't know, 10 meters or 10 feet shorter, then yeah, maybe she would have won, but it just kept going. And uh, you can see it in the body language that Puck really was rocking. I mean, she was going left to right. And then behind her, I mean, mouth breezing. This is the thing. I think that uh, Femme has a really good poker face. And we saw this in Zolder. But it didn't like it sort of went the other way where she wasn't showing if she was hurting and she actually was hurting. And then here at um, Farmville, you know, she's almost like nose breathing behind Puck. And then she just gets out of the saddle and is perfectly sprints around her. It stays up and down, right? Her body language is like so smooth and boom, posts up and celebrates. So I was. I, watching that sprint and watching that last like lap and how hard it seemed Puck uh, Puck was digging, I gotta say, Zach, I, I feel like this U twenty three World Champs gonna repeat. I think it's been a good luck charm for her this year. Yeah, totally. I mean, I, and I just kind of wonder too if you know, uh, I, me, more than anyone, has just documented uh, Puck's struggles i mean she can't win a race like she's always the uh, the ginger she's always the redheaded stepchild and i just kind of wonder if that's getting into her head and if that's going to be an additional thing like let's say the 23 women's race 
comes down to her and either Van Anroy or Van Empel or all three of them, if that's going to be in her head and if it's going to affect how she races. Uh, and it's too, it's interesting too, kind of looking at, you know, they were kind of gaming things out and, you know, I, uh, Peter, Peter Slug came up as a bike racer, right? Like she's been a bike racer for a really long time. And it was like, we're waiting for this. And it seems like she kind of got played by Van Empel who, <laughs> you might've heard was playing soccer two years ago. So just kind of interesting that, you know, maybe because of her background also with some of this frustration, I'm sure that's some of it that like Van Empel has just been a very quick study on bike racing tactics where it seems like, uh, where, uh, Peter says kind of seems more racing with her heart than maybe her head a little bit. But it's also, it's, I think you're right in the tactics, but it's also the technique. I, I, Van Eppel looked like she had done some sprint drills in her day, you know, which haven't been too, as you, as you documented that many days, but definitely just looked super smooth on the bike and just was not flustered at all by the attack and just hung out, did what you're supposed to do, just kept on that wheel. And I think I understand what Peterson was trying to do. And I am not going to second guess her decision making, although now I am. And it's it's maybe like you make that attack, and it's such a long finishing stretch, and on a hill, and maybe then you sit up. I mean, if it doesn't work, she sort of like cooked her own goose by continuing to put out that effort without any chance. And I don't know then if you just lose all your momentum and you can't do a second sprint, but it was a gamble. But again, on the on the other side, it's a gamble, and good for her. Take the chance. Maybe it pays off. Maybe right. you win. And maybe she knows. I mean, they're good friends. They ride together all the time. Maybe she knows, oh, I do these drills with Femme. I can't out-sprint her. I got I to gotta try to catch her off guard. So, yeah, you can't really fault it. And what a great ending. I mean, one of the best endings we've had to a race this year. So good for us, too, on top of it. Yeah, I was thinking it's kind of the same lines, like sort of, that attack is is that from someone who has raced a lot actually and so and so to your point bill is like i got to do something to take them you know off guard because she is i know she is stronger than me um but yeah i just once again so I, smooth yeah and i also i don't think that if puck were to drop down into the drops halfway through that she magically then is able to overtake and win the sprint so a win for Black Sox and a win for the drops. Drops over tops. White Sox are lighter. Yeah, I don't know. Puck had everything. Uh, well, so, guys, Vosh came in third. Uh, and this is a little bit challenging because I think with the um, when Cyclocross 24 uploaded all the old world's results, they switched to doing racing age. So we don't have actual age. But if we go by... Um, racing age this was definitely a no no podium no wide angle podium for for old women uh your leader at over uh we had fifth place sylvia persico uh the old woman of the top seven at age 20 racing age 25 um and then ava lechner at 37 and alicia frank at the ripe old age of 28 finishing 10th uh, but by racing age, the average racing age of your podium was 20.3 years. 
And I was like, oh, I wonder if there's been a younger podium. And so the only place that I could go, and I'm sure maybe there has been, but I went to the, you know, when Wout and Machu were just tearing it up uh, at a young age. And I was like, oh, maybe with Vanderhaar, right? Well, you get to like, uh, for example, let me try to find it here. Uh, I think it happened in 2015-16, Tabor Worlds, the three of them on the podium. But Vanderhaar was racing age 24, Vanderpool was 20 and Venerit was 21. The best I could do was at Mall in 2015, at an average age of 21. You had 21 year old racing age, Watt Venerit, 20 year old Vanderpool, and our man, Lauren Sweck, coming in at uh, a ripe, uh, very wise 22. Uh, in that race. So some young ra- some uh, young results. I just did a quick look. We had another one at Hugerheide in 2015. Uh, Yanni Vermeer, Charman, he was 23. So he's bringing that age up a little bit. So I don't know, uh, to our folks, to the listeners, to our uh, you know historians out there, find me a younger podium uh, than 20.3333333 racing age. And I doubt you'd be able to do it. Yeah. Speaking of podiums, here, I got a little segue. We're going to do a little segue, segue, Bill. Um, okay, so I was listening to the Slow Ride podcast today, uh, fellow members of the Wide Angle Podium Network, and they, they create lots of bits, and they were bemoaning the fact that they had not created or come up with the idea of the Gravel Hall of Fame first, um, but they did run through some of their other things that they had you know, they're brilliant ideas. One of them was to, you know, pick a country that didn't have dominant cyclists and go there and become national champions. And one of those countries was Iceland. So they talked about that today. I was like, you know what? Did Iceland have a national championships this year? Guess what? They did. So speaking of podium ages and Iceland, guess what the Hang on one second. Let me do some quick math here, but I'm going to ask you guys. Okay, guess what the average age of the men's elite podium at Iceland National Icelandic National Championships. So my 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 head wants to say that it's like ridiculously old, but my heart realize would think that No, maybe I don't know if those are even right. But like part of me is like it's got to be a bunch of youngs. It's got to be a bunch of like 16 year olds because there's always kids that are really fast. But then the other part of me is like, there's like three Joachim Parbos who are in their forties <laughs> who are tearing it up in Icelandic cyclocross. I'm going to go 42. I was going to go 37. Bill, you're closer. It's actually 34. So, uh, it wasn't that old, but, but Zach, the guy that got fourth is 50. And then the guy that got there's a, there's there's like three people in their forties. So my whole point is, Tim, Matt, Spencer, you guys have a chance. You guys are all old guys too. So I think you might be able to get an Icelandic national jersey. I actually don't know how fast Ingvar Omarsson and Dennis Elgic and Oscar Omarsson are. I mean, they could be really fast. They probably are. But so ride. You got a chance. There's some old guys racing in Iceland. Yeah, I like that though. That's um, 
I don't know. I'd like I'd like to see it. I think I think we should we should raise some money to 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 send Tim over there to race race the cyclocross nationals in his in his uh jorts and and shirt and tie, which I think is a cyclocross uniform that Tim had adopted in the past. <laughs> I love it. That was Michael that I A plus. Yeah, that was great research. That was good. That's that was that was that was a good bit. But you also mentioned Hall of Fame. <laughs> Speaking yeah. of segue, Zach. Guys, I have a bit. So <laughs> I mean, like we came into this uh and uh we're a little worried about, you know, this race. I think it was a race, but there, you know, a lot of the big hitters were gone. It was a standalone. We're kind of in that lull. And uh, Hall of Fames are kind of all uh, all the rage right now. And uh, I mean, I don't want to I don't want to make fun of this too much, but I, I wanted to like do this hypothetical that because um, one of the fun things, especially about like the Baseball Hall of Fame, I think is probably the one that's the most prestigious and generates the most debates is debating whether or not someone is a Hall of Famer. And you get in, well, I think this and I think that and I have these criteria. So guys, I wanted to say like hypothetically uh, that there were a cyclocross Hall of Fame. Now we've, we've, we're having a debate about where it would be. I, I, I think for sure my proposal for the American one is definitely that we buy out Fort Stage Park in Gloucester and we put up the gaudiest ugliest rut filled building that we can and call it the cyclocross hall of fame, uh, to thumb our nose at all the residents of Gloucester and make lots of friends. Are you guys okay with that? Like where would the American cyclocross hall of fame well, be? under those same lines? I think, I think, you know, it's, it's a historical place. It has a lot of culture. It has a lot of heritage. So Zilker park, let's, let's throw it up in Zilker park. Let's, let's bring, let's bring, Let's bring cyclocross back to Austin. Well, t- Bill, that's that's great. You know, I I think they had a race there in the seventies too, right? I know I know that there were some folks. We'd be remiss not to mention, you know, the the fertile grounds of of I don't I don't know mid state Massachusetts. <laughs> Where what do you call that part? I sorry, I'm not from the Northeast, so everybody's gonna hate me. Uh, Northampton, you know, Adam Myerson's race. I, I think it's been around for a long time. But I think if we're really thinking about like Hall of Fame and spectacle and sort of just like just a really adventure and like where tourists are going to be, I think we've got to have it in Vegas. I like that. Yeah. I, I mean, all, all the West Coast folks right are now are saying, hey, by the way, uh, cyclocross started in California in the U.S. So they're, <laughs> they're, they're going to argue a West Coast, uh, um, you know, uh, place for this kind of like how switzerland used to be the hotbed of cyclocross before belgium and everybody's forgotten about switzerland california was the same way california is the switzerland of the u.s is what i'm trying to say okay so didn't they i my one of my favorites was like we just put it the presidio i thought that was like a cool as shit venue like if you've been to san francisco it's right right near the golden gate bridge is a beautiful venue so guys like if we were doing a hall of fame like let's say hypothetically like uh, so in baseball, there's this dude, Bill James, um, he's just been on, you know, like he's this historian and he's a stats guy and he's developed all these advanced metrics and stuff like that. Uh, and he had a, you know, a bunch of different ways that you assess, you know, a, a hall of famer one, he would do a comparison. So if someone's in the hall of fame, 
is this guy better than that guy? Uh, another one, he came up with like this really long list of things. And it's like, if you answered yes to these, it was like a hundred things. If you yes, answered yes to half of them about a player, then they're probably a hall of famer. But and then another one where he's like, you know, for a five-year period, was this player like the best player at their position? And it's a little bit different in baseball because there's nine positions and you're comparing shorts, but you know, so it's a little bit different in cyclocross. So, you know, what kind of, what kind of criteria would you look at to say, you know, uh, if there's a voting, the cyclocross media, right? Like the, the baseball media. So I think there's like six of us. So if the media pit, you know, and they come to us every year and we get to vote, what would kind of be your criteria uh, for a hall of fame? I want to just quickly say Western mass was the term I was looking for. Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> it's okay. I was trying to think of every, every cyclocross racing name that somehow sounded like saber and i just i was that that was just whirring around my head and i just i couldn't couldn't really come up with like fenner metrics is that where yeah i mean that was the first one that came but i just like no that's a that's just i I didn't want to force that one (laughs) in there steiber metrics steiber metrics maybe yeah (laughs) yeah i think that's it good thank you which we do now have right we have the uh, we have the cross metrics we should have called them the stebar metrics yeah i mean should do you go from the top i mean like world series wins doesn't that you know championship wins usually is is one of those things i know it's not it's not like uh, uh sort of uh drilling down into the stats but it's it's something that the people say who who won who won the big game or the big series so I think I think world championship wins definitely is is something that would be considered and is a pretty easy ticket in. I would I would also say streaks and streaks and or consistency. You know, obviously we jumping off worlds, Nye's only won two, but what he won he he won a ton of races, was always dominant. Um, you know, he's an obvious pick for Hall of Fame. Yeah, so so Sven won the Super Prestige overall thirteen times, and he won the World Cup overall six. So that and only I, like, and only two World Championships, right? Yes, uh, I would say World Podiums is another one too. I mean, I think even if you don't win it, uh, you know. Oh, well, I have a question then. So, okay, if we're talking about World Championships, if, if the, like if you win a Worlds. Do you go to the Hall of Fame? Does Delita De Young go to the Hall of Fame? No, I don't think so. Okay. I, I got another one. Okay, so this is what I wanted to do is like some of these cases. So let's do. Uh, Pauline Ferran-Provot, is she a cyclocross Hall of Famer? What's her? I mean, I know she won Worlds. What's her? Uh, her stats are one Worlds win, and that's it. Uh, so the other ones that I have, the other metrics I have are world's podiums, um, the DVV, the uh, series or whatever we're called. What is it now? The It's not the ice cream series. X- X2O? X2O. So that series is the most consistent one for the women and then World Cup overalls. So she has a world's win. So I would say that no, but she would probably end up in the Cycling Hall of Fame, right? I feel like sort of holding all three at the same time. Is quite a feat, and so maybe that doesn't get you in cyclocross, but 
it's got to be recognized. Michael, somewhere. are you suggesting that maybe it might be a little, you know, that maybe that maybe like you don't you don't we don't need a Hall of Fame for a specific discipline? And I don't know, I don't know, you know, why this is coming to mind. Like, you know, maybe it could be part of a bigger sport like cycling. Is that kind of what you're saying? That's sort of what I'm saying. Okay. Yeah. I yeah. mean, there were no I mean, there were no I mean, particular I'd... examples that I was just talking. I none at all are coming so to here, mind. Here, here's the thing, and this may this may, you know, if you're putting like Americans or North Americans in, into the, the the bigger mix and and trying to see if any would make the Hall of Fame. So you you talk about Pauline Ferrand Perot. Yes, she won just one Worlds, but she also won a slew of French national championships. Like I think mean, there was four or five years where she was the French national champion. So does that does that count? Does your national is? I know it's a it's a lower standard because you're not racing against the she won three. Yeah, so I mean that's you know. Yeah, I mean that's, that's an interesting. That's, that's more than that's more than just a a a stopping by for a cup of coffee in a world championship. Right. So I mean, so like Christine Majerus, who's won. 27 Luxembourg <laughs> championships. Yeah. Well, see, but like, I, 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 that's where I guess where I'm doing the distinction. I think we have like the cyclocross hall of fame, you know, and then every country can do what they want. I mean, I, well, think I that, guess for, I guess for Pauline, I'm saying that that d- does, does that, I mean, it obviously helps her case, but does that help her case enough? Here is somebody who won a world championship plus won her national championship three times does that get her into the conversation i think it's in a conversation it seems like she's one of those ones that there would be debates about and she's probably not a first ballot hall of famer so that's the thing like in baseball being in the first ballot is a big deal and that's something that a lot of baseball writers actually hold dear is like you know first ballot is a big deal so i don't think she'd be a first ballot hall of famer but i think that we would have this debate where like someone like her stands above uh Talita de Young, we'd just be like, yeah, no, <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, th- but you know. somebody who had a, I, I mean, <laughs> Katie Compton's the name that that comes to mind, but somebody that has a pretty full resume suspension aside, but never won worlds, you know, w- without, if you just took some, an, some fictional person and gave her Katie Compton's resume and said, okay, this person here is, is that person, even though the world's win isn't there above Pauline Pravon Pravo. If you're talking about Katie Compton, yes, yeah, I think so. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how the hall of fame deals with, um, doping suspension. So you're talking about like a hundred, I mean, that's a hundred UCI wins. Right. I think that's way bigger than Ferran Perot's three. Okay, Ferran Perot only won one World Cup. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, I think Felita de Jong actually won more races than Ferran Perot. So So that's another metric. So wins, definitely. World Cup wins, but then just total UCI wins, I think. And, you know... UCI wins at the international level too. I mean, I think Compton was just a player for an entire decade, you know, had a shot at winning. So yeah. But then do we moralize? I mean, baseball is in the current state of moralizing about doping. And then, I mean, the, the steroid errors guys aren't getting in right now. 
So the one that I the one that was interesting to me. So uh, we have a rider with five worlds podiums, long career, uh, never won worlds. Kevin Powell's. Yes, I'm a, I'm a strong Kevin Powell's proponent. And now I need to look up his record. So this is one that I definitely wanted to to ask you about. This is one actually when I came up with the bit first riders that I thought about. So this rider, uh, fan favorite, never won worlds, five worlds podiums, really long career and raced well uh, well into his career. Um, think about the fan favorite Kevin Powell's. How do you guys feel about you know never won the big one, never won an overall series, but I mean he was a player for a really long time. First ballot Hall of Fame for me. See, I was going to go the other way. I was, I was going to go. He's the guy that gets on on the last year he's eligible. I think so. Like where the nostalgia. I feel like he's one of those build that he could be one of those guys where doesn't get in, and then someone does a revision on Kevin Powell's career. So they they come up with like let's say the the Stibar metrics come out, and we realize like oh he had to contend with the peak era of like Stibar and Sven. And then he like at the tail end of his career, he ran into Machu and he ran into Wout. Everyone's like, there's like this revision. There's this Kevin Powell's revision. Everyone's like, Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. And then like, he gets in like down the line. Well, isn't it, isn't it after the 30, 30, 30 by 30 that then he gets in? Could be. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Someone does a, a 30 for 30 about Kevin Powell's um, called Kevin. So what's, what's, Kevin's to none. It's called Kevin's to none. And then that's the 3030. <laughs> so what is the what what is uh I mean I feel like he's won series though, hasn't he? Uh he never won the super prestige or the world cup. He may have won the okay. like I this is just the metrics I have just because super prestige runs the farthest back for the men. Um this cause this was a different looking at top riders the last 30 years. Uh so another one, uh you know, no world's wins, three world's podiums. Lars Vanderhaar. Didn't he win the overall World Cup? He may have. I it, don't have it, that. In in a year of Sven. Oh. Oh, he, he did? did? Okay. Yeah. I missed that. Wasn't that 2014? Yeah, something like okay. that. Yeah. I need to do some revision of my numbers. My bad. No, but and not your bad, but I just think that that's, that would be something that would sway it for me because that's a that's a pretty that's a pretty big one so kevin kevin powell's won it in 2014 okay uh vanahar won it in 13 14 so powell's won it in 14 15 um and i was gonna i was gonna not give lars the uh the nod yeah i think the swoon the swoon for me i mean he was good young and i mean as much as we love touting him now i don't think he's good enough like i don't think he's like racing at a hall of fame level right now and that big like just that swoon that he had after his hot start i mean i think he's one of those guys right where like you know we do this in 2014 we're like oh this guy for sure like destined to be hall of fame material and then just doesn't live up to the live up to the hype but if you have 75 riders who could be on your lips per year right that you're going to talk about year after year there there are 75 to 100 eligible riders who we could be talking about one of those that we have consistently talked about since and and this is not a metric this is this is the this is the um 
the zeitgeist metric. Ooh, I like this. I love. I love this. <laughs> Isn't Lars Vanderhaar there? Yeah, because you. Yeah, he's zeitgeist. You. He got a nickname in the Svenness videos. Yeah, like, but, but, you. but but you're right, and that's when he was. I mean, this is like a career. We talk about the professional drift in races where you like go out hard and then just sort of like drift back to your spot. You know, you see it a lot like in road racing too. Like the bigger guys are like, all right, here comes the climb. I'm going to go really hard. And then by the time they catch up with me, I'll be right back in my spot. I feel like he's been doing the career pro drift. (laughs) (laughs) Or like we're still talking about him. (laughs) But yeah, he's kind of like fading down there into the... He's still a top five rider. He's still got a podium shot every time he lines up. He's the... So I've I've changed my mind. Lars actually is probably more of a Hall of Famer than Kevin. He actually maybe has more victories. He's won a Euros. He's won his his own national championship before. Kevin never has. So I don't know. Yeah, that's that's tough. Now, we sort of... I I think it is a little bit tough also. We got to remember the... You can't be eligible for the Hall of Fame until a few many years after you've quit. So, Kevin, we have distance now. Um, it's probably been three years, um, four years, but, you know, Lars is still racing, so maybe that was part of my uh, decision-making. I don't know. I think time, I think he's one of those guys that I think time would not, will not treat him well, especially if with the, because there's guys, especially as sabermetrics in baseball, so the Stibar metrics, and I don't know. Um, but, you know, I did that analysis of Lars, and there was that period where he was gone. Like, you know, as much as a friend of the show, Becca Ferringer, would like to disagree, like, Lars was, you know, I just feel like people, like, that part of his career might kind of stand out, the injuries and stuff. And, you know, he could be what could have been. But then it's like, oh, with the injuries, you know, like, like, uh, Vanderpool, let's say let's say Vanderpool never races again. I, that's a bad case. Like, is he a first ballot Hall of Famer? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he's a transformative figure in the sport. Okay. There's no way he's not he's not making it in. He, he they could no, no, no. First make ballot. an exception is he that first ballot though. Yes. Okay. okay. Yes. I think he's I think he's like much like the exception to race when he wasn't old enough. Uh, they can make the exception that he's eligible now. You yeah, know, just yeah, pretty much. Put him in. <laughs> um, so, but but I have a question for you, Zach, because you were talking before about you know, and I brought up and it, and yeah, not as good example with uh, PFP and the French national championship wins. But do you weight national championships? So, do you look at like Dutch a Dutch women or a Belgian men's national championship and say that race means more? than other national championships. And that's almost like a World Cup or in the Dutch women, even a world championship level race. And if you are consistently winning that race, does that get you a a higher weighted score than somebody who's winning Luxembourg's national championship? That's kind of interesting thinking about that going back to our discussion last week where we were talking about how the Dutch just didn't care about their nationals for the longest time. And you know, we see where the, I, even within, you know, like SWAC, <laughs> SWAC's done well, you know, and it just seems like it doesn't carry necessarily the same weight. So I am personally more apt to, to discount those. Like I would value a super prestige win over a nationals win almost hmm. like, you know, just doing the grind, winning a race on the grind versus, I don't know. It just doesn't seem like they care that much. 
Does a, if we go with the road version of monuments, does a monument win carry more weight? If you win a Coke Sida, does it carry more weight? So I was going to say that Powell's won Namur twice, and that seemed, that stood out to me as one of those monument wins. And so I would say yes, if, if they're sort of, I don't know how you, how you figure this out, but if they're sort of commonly agreed upon the big events and you win those, th- those count for more. Yeah, I think it's pretty easy. I mean, Nemur, well, not pretty, but like Nemur, Zolder, Koksida, Zonhoven, you know, maybe Tabor. I mean, Tabor seems like it has like a lot of history at it. But yeah, I, I think that's definitely one of the metrics. It's one of those questions, right? Like, did they win a monument? <laughs> Do you get negative points for winning Essen? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Do you like, <laughs> takes away a couple victories somewhere else? All right, so some other ones that uh, just I wanted to bounce off you guys, like... Is Sana Kant a first ballot cyclocross Hall of Famer? She was the one I was going to bring up as a first ballot, yes. Three, yes. three world championships, right? 13 national championships, even if it doesn't matter. But still, I think she's, she's won the World Cup, right? Uh, On several Yeah, she's won it three maybe. times. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, she's got a... And she gets it for that five-year rule for me. I mean, that, the three years she won Worlds, and then the two years before that, I mean, she was just like the top... I mean, so good. And that's Michael's streak, right? So your, your streak is almost getting to my, like, were you the best for an extended period of time? All right. So Lucinda Brand wins. Does she, well, well, I just, going back to that, and this is the big one. I don't want to jump your gun, if, jump ahead if, you, if it's on there. But I think a comparison between Sané Kant and Mariana Voss. I mean, who has the better career? Between those, as far as a cyclocross racer goes, I mean, Mariana Voss, you're not going to beat it. Well, she have seven world championships. Yep. But what else does she have? Uh, she won the World Cup overall once. I think actually recently. It was the year that she came to America. So it was the 2018-19, I want to say, I think she won it. But yeah, Sana's won the, the B-Post DVV uh, potty cross six times. And I have a World Cup. Apparently, I counted wrong. But I have at least three World Cup overalls for her. Uh, yeah. So, and Voss has seven wins and three more podiums. So 10 podiums overall. And Kant has three additional podiums, uh, to go through three wins. So I would argue even with that insane amount of world championships that Mariana Voss has, that Sané Kant is, is, gets a higher, she's, she's voted in before Voss, if we're just going, I mean, they're both first ballot, but I think she's, she's ahead of her as far as just pure cyclocross achievement goes. So you're making an argument for the, uh, Bill Simmons pyramid. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like, didn't he have like the different tiers or something? And there was, yeah, we won't get into that. All right. So Lucinda Brand wins worlds this year and then, you know, gets just swamped by the young guns. Is she a first ballot cyclocross hall of famer? That's tough. Not yet. Okay. You're, so you're saying this is it. She wins this So year, she's done. You're saying it. It, as right now, she, re, she retires. We're five, down, five years down the road with her resume as of today. Is she first ballot? I don't say retires, but like let's say she finishes. Let's say she wins, uh, wins, and then next year she, good year, finishes third, you know, because like the youngs okay. like kind of do their thing. And then the next year, you know, finishes fourth, and then she's like, I'm done. 
hard to say because you know she had such a great year. She's you know we've got one world to maybe a second one coming. Been close on the podium, but you look. I was just looking at the number of victories that Sana Kant has. It's like 123 wins. Um, Vera was 99. Um, I don't think listen to Brand is going to be what maybe 20 wins at this point. So hard for me to say that's a first ballot. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think she's in and I think the five year test definitely. I mean, you look at her numbers in the last five years, she's just been like the best, (laughs) you know, uh, across the board in terms of just number of wins when she does race. So, but yeah, I, I, you know, I think like that would be kind of fun then is like, you know, you debate like what is being a first ballot cyclocross hall of famer is that reserved for the Svens and the Machus and the Wouts and the, the Vosses and the Kants. And I think that, you know, a certain segment of the uh, voting media. The question is: Is if this existed on an international level, would they let us vote? They'd probably be like, "Yeah, you no, you you guys don't count. Like, screw you guys. <laughs> America is not a real country to us." Okay, Brand has forty four victories, so just a uh, just for a yawn. Yeah, on the on the men's side, of course, people will be screaming at us that you know we we're not going back to the seventies and. uh Eric de Vlaminek, who won a whole slew of world championships. So no, I think it's just it's easier about- to argue the edge cases for people that we know. I think that like we yep. would just be looking at numbers, right. and you know we. So I, I guess I guess our disclaimer is we understand you know that those those Weifels and those Libetons and those Paul Hergers and all of and the Mario de Klerks are out there and would be in the Hall of Fame. We're almost in the what we would classify the modern hall of fame. Yeah. So, and I, I, maybe I'll do this post eventually, but I was going to do who's the best writer of the modern era we're calling it. And I think I defined it roughly starting in the late nineties, forget which year. And, and part of that is just like, these are people that you might actually remember. Like, you know, when it becomes, it's like when the, the baseball hall of fame, when the veterans committee starts voting in guys who died in 1940, you're like, I don't give a shit. Like, I don't even know who that is. And that's not fun for debate on a podcast, but when it's people, you know, and you can bring in the zeitgeist factor, like that's when, that, to me, that's when it becomes interesting, and I think that's part of why. But thank you, Bill, for making that point, that there are definitely those riders who would be in, for sure. All right, who's your who's your who's who's another uh, borderline case you got? Uh, that was kind of like the uh, – so um, – oh, 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 this one is – this one's good. Niels Albert. Oh. Niels Albert. Hmm. Um, I, you know, it's uh, the old the old adage. It's better to to burn out than fade away. I mean, he got his he he not only got his worlds, but he got his worlds at a monument. He got the Coke side of worlds. Did he win another one, or was that he it? had two? So he won twice. He had two, right? Yeah, yeah. Hogerheide. Oh, Hogerheide as well. Okay. And it's it's tough. These are the ones that are tough for me because that was, you know, that that's in the that's in the age of, um, you know, you know every song, every word to every song from eighth grade to like you know through high school type thing. Those are like I like I remember all of those races from that generation. So it's tough, and those were just like the gods of cyclocross. Those those uh you know from. Stibar and Sven and Wellens and 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 Niels and you know and and even like 
Powell's in there at the time and Francis Moore. I mean, that was such a, that was such a, for me at least, that was kind of my golden age of cyclocross. So it's hard to look at somebody like Niels Albert and it'd be really interesting to see what somebody like Niels would look like in today's cyclocross. You know, it's, it's the whole thing, you know, it's, it's the, it's the, it's the, it's the ridiculous LeBron or Jordan type, type argument, you know, and you can't really like cross generations and it, the, the, the game has changed. The game of cyclocross has changed completely. So it, I, I was actually having this conversation with a, a North American rider who started his career, who's still a, you know, good racer, but started his career in the USGP days racing with Powers and Tim Johnson and Ryan Trebone and that whole that that whole group. And according to him, who raced with them, he says they're not as good as the riders today. Like if those guys and those skills that they had at that time were racing today, they would be average or fighting for podiums, but not like riding away from everyone, which I found super interesting because I, I for me again, that was the American cyclocross hmm. that I kind of like jacked into at the beginning of this. And it was like, those are the guys that no one could ever touch. So that, that was kind of interesting too. So it's, 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 I think that shift is wild and you know, we'll never know, but, uh, I thought that, so all of that to say, for me, Niels Albert gets in, but I don't know. But what did he do with the series? Uh, he won the World Cup overall twice. So, um, and, and keep in mind, I didn't like the, the, the DVV, like, it's just like, it didn't run very long. So like when I was doing this, I wanted consistency. And so the super prestige is like, dates back to the, my, many, 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 many years ago. <laughs> But the other the other factor with him is almost like a, a hubris factor. Like he was the he was kind of like the Belgian boss, you know. Like he was when he won that Worlds at at uh, Coke side. Uh, he was basically he was the team captain, and nobody messed with him. Even though there were guys on that team that were, could have maybe beaten him, he wasn't going to have it happen. I mean, he's sitting there. You know, that that was the race where it's ridiculous. It was like nine Belgians at the front of the race and he's yelling at all of them, <laughs> making sure that they all remembered who was going to be winning this race. Huh. Okay. So, yeah. So, I mean, I think he benefits then from that, like he was really good for a shorter period of time. And I think, you know, that's a factor too. like the rider, you know, uh, athletes who have a bad injuries or like, you know, I mean, I guess Roberto Clemente was pretty old, like when he, when he passed away, but I'm thinking of like to be Chicago centric, like I think, you know, Gail Sayers had a pretty short career. I think he ended up in the NFL hall of fame just because like he was so good, you know, for a shorter period of time, you know, and Albert Wright like had the heart issue and had to retire early. So, yeah, I mean, I think that he would definitely get in. I mean, I think too, winning worlds twice proves that you're not necessarily not a fluke. <laughs> yeah. So, is Bo Jackson in the Hall of Fame? No. How about Barry Sanders? He must be. Barry Sanders would be. But still a guy that walked away. Yeah. Bo Jackson, though, he would be in the Vibes Hall of Fame. If there was a Vibes wing of Canton, like, Bo Jackson would be in the Hall of Fame. So, Well, I was just thinking of someone with a short career that was pretty dynamic. Missed, but missed, I don't know. missed both Hall of Fames. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, right? So, 
So that was my, I don't know. That's, that's what I had. I, this was a fun discussion. Um, yeah, I think it's, it's kind of fun. I mean, I'm looking forward to hearing what other people have to say and if they have any other kind of like hypotheticals. We didn't really get to the domestic racing too much. We kind of kept it Euros, Eurocentric, but I'm sure that there would be great debates to have for our yet-to-be-cited North American uh, domestic cyclocross hall of fame. So super, super fun and, and interesting. Well, I think with three world championships, five world championship podiums and having the metrics named after him, Stibar gets in. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Stibar metrics. I love it. Awesome. Anything else we need, we need to talk about? We got Holger Haida, and then we get to overanalyze Holger Haida. We get two races to overanalyze this year. I think we have, don't we have Flandrian cross Hama this year with the, we do, yeah. the, talking about Hall of Fame, Hall of Fame for most fun section to ride, or at least what looks like the most fun section to ride in cyclocross. The, the, the woodsy section, the mountain bikey part at the end of the, the Hama track. So. Oh, it's always like I like that race. I, it's an, I don't know. It's a course that I've always found interesting. Um, there's been some interesting races that have occurred. There, of course, was the great Tom Mason Renaissance, the year that he just rode ra- with Vanderpool. I think that's one that sticks out. There was also the time uh, Ellen Noble finished second there uh, at that race during uh, kind of when she was tearing it up. So I don't know. There's been some definitely races I remember there. So we have two races to overanalyze this week, this year. Plus, the North Americans will be putting in laps 3,000 to 5,000 of the Fayetteville course that I believe they've already started on. So they'll be uh, continuing, continuing to rip up the home court field. Or they're just out going up Mount Lemon a bunch of times. That too. Is that what Carrie's doing? Carrie's going bikepacking. Can we talk about Carrie Werner <laughs> and like places that you're in? So Carrie Werner is doing a four day bike packing trip with 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 Finsty, right? With Russell Finsterwald. Yep. I I mean, just you know, Bill like talking about like the week the where the where Carrie is in his career and what <laughs> his prep looks like. You know, I love you, it. Do you know who? I'm getting major Sweeking vibes from Carrie Werner right now. All right, I think that's it. We'll uh, see you next time. And uh, hang in there, kid. The Slow Ride Podcast. Three idiots who are usually wrong. The Slow Ride Podcast. The titanium of podcasts. The Slow Ride Podcast. It's like if David Vanderpool had a podcast. The Slow Ride Podcast. The Zwift Racing of podcasts. The Slow Ride Podcast. Find the real advice. The Slow Ride Podcast. The Arrow Helmet of Podcasts. The Slow Ride Podcast. Sport leader coming through. The Slow Ride Podcast. When's Lance gonna sue us? The Slow Ride Podcast. The experts in French cycling. The Slow Ride Podcast. Official fan experience zone on Facebook. The Slow Ride Podcast. The gravel bike of podcasts. The Slow Ride Podcast. Both vertically and horizontally compliant. The Slow Ride Podcast. New episodes every Tuesday.